I moved here directly after graduating Oberlin in uh, 2000. I went to Norway for five years, and then after Norway, I came straight to Berlin. But you don't have any performances in the States now? You don't go back and go to New York and go see concerts, or you don't have any connection with people there? Well, I went to school with a lot of the people who are in the ice ensemble. So, but oh, I don't, yeah, that's right. They're Oberlin people. They're all Oberlin people. So I was actually, I was in the same class as all them. So, I mean, that was one of the beautiful things of my time at Oberlin. I was full of... Um, I was full of all these. It was I was looking at all these talented people around me, and I got to see all these great concerts. Um, I couldn't say at that point I was you know part of the, that crowd or you know had the music. To, I was still learning and searching, but it was great to see people around me as peers who inspired me to kind of step it up a, a couple notches. Where did you fit in in the states? Because I I consider you and people are going to hear your music on this. Like I consider you to be almost an international kind of but European centralized uh, composer, just, you know, just with your rhetoric and the syntax that you use and, sure. you know, let's play it into all the extent, you know, extended techniques, blah, 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 blah. Where were you in the States? Is, I mean, did that, is that something that changed as you came over here or, you know, why did that, why did that transform? Um, you know, it's interesting because when I was at Oberlin, I remember being a bit more conservative because um, Oberlin's a very, um, you know, experimental college. Uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a quite vibrant open jazz scene at that point. A lot of composers were doing both uh, performing. A lot of jazz players were, were writing. There, it was a really vibrant new music scene. I, I remember that very well, and it was really it was great. I guess at that time, I, I spent more time you know, learning craft and being a bit more traditional in my taste. Uh, for sure, I was a bit of a minimalist. I was into you know, American composers like uh, Corigliano, which is kind of looking back a little crazy but um even though i have you know it's like cringing you always look back on your taste at yeah, the time and it changes of and it was and it's and it just cringing even in pop music i figured oh, I, I was i, I was super into fish which i oh my god nobody. i listened to nirvana Nevermind the other day and it still held up and then the offspring i heard the uh offspring you ever hear this band mm-hmm. no it was just like a california punk band and they were i listened to it like two weeks ago it was just like the worst shit I can't believe yeah. I was just pumping this into my head, yeah. like from the ages of like twelve to I don't know eighteen, exactly. even. Yeah. Well, there's there's a huge social kind of environmental element of music uh, that you know if your friends like it and that's what's was part of the, the culture, then it becomes you like it too. I think it's very hard to separate the the function and the social function music plays in our lives um, to tastes. You know, if you like a composer, but that happens for us now too. Oh, for I sure. Mean, for and, sure. I'm, and I'm talking about everything from like me sitting down and enjoying the Grisé piece to, yeah. um, I don't know, some electro thing that my old friends are for into sure. that I went to high school with. So it's not like it's any different now. No, but I just think it's an interesting, um, way to understand that taste is a really, you know, constantly evolving, subjective, highly influenceable, um, perception to, to how we that we think i mean i had this one composer i met recently uh one of his rehearsals he's kind of like a big deal he was very you name dropping already actually you're not going to say his name i'm not going to say his and name. i'm going to push this mic closer to okay great face. i'm not going to say his name but um he had a piece in oslo and i remember just sitting in the rehearsal and i loved the stuff he did back when he was in his 20s and then he's since moved to america and become a bit more commercial being nominated for some grammys um but i did meet him and he was such a nice guy and he really is a nice guy that it made me really want to like his piece that night. I really wanted to like it. So I could, mm. after the concert, be like, yes, that was fantastic. I hate that. But, um, but you know, at the end of the day, it kind of blows my mind that you can, you can be so revolutionary or you're so trying to, to, to kind of find something in your youth. And then at a certain point in time, 
you know, you're just writing, you know, a bunch of C major modulations to other keys with, you know, just it's, it shocks me on some level because um, not to say you need to be new to be good, but I find that there has to be something, there has to be some kind of search to be sincere and to kind of to some, to somehow contribute. And I find, I, don't get me wrong, I, I am waiting with, with great anticipation of the tonal composer who blows my mind with his freshness and newness and new approach to everything. But the, the, the problem there is that you have such, a, you have such ama- amazing baggage on that, on that path. And, but, and also we're growing now an ama- amazing baggage of the world of you know, extended techniques and noise. I, mean, I think, I think, we're, I think we're already there. You know, I, have really, yeah, I, I kind of sure. disagree with you a little. I mean, maybe he's just searching for something. Maybe he's searching for something and he's not there yet. Maybe he's searching for something and he's failed. You have to keep in mind that because of so many factors that what a composer is searching for and what is actually happening on stage are not always in Congress or are quite often. And I'm especially, I don't know, for me personally, like I always feel that margin of like dissonance that what I intended or what is actually happening is different. So it's hard for you to know, you know, maybe this guy was on step one out of, you know, 20 or 30 steps to becoming that tonal composer that blows your mind that is definitely possible um and and i I can't speak to where he will eventually arise a part of me though you know and this is maybe the the pessimist in me or you know the the the, the doubter that would would say is well you know it's a nice pretty piece that makes all the subscription holders at whatever major american orchestra it's something they can kind of relate to i just don't see the I just I was looking really hard to find out well where he was trying to differentiate himself from other composers just writing you know nice melodies with nice harmonies and climaxing and contrasting melodies or you know or it's a subtle question where where the taste comes in and what works I mean I, I can say for example I'm, I'm not I'm definitely trying not I try not to be dogmatic one composer that's recently grown on me hugely and he's an extremely melodic composer really is uh, Claude Vivier. I remember the first time I heard him, I thought, well, it's nice, but you know, what's he really doing here? He's been around for a while. I mean, he's been dead for a while. He's been dead for a while. He yeah. died so young. I mean, it's yeah. amazing to think about what, what would have happened uh, you know, and the influence he might have had. Um, but the thing I love about Claude Vivier, and if you take a piece like Zipangu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's with an X. I, uh, no, it's with a Z, so that's probably right. Uh, Zipangu is, um, you know, and he even says it himself, the piece opens with this wonderful kind of droning uh, sound and this glorious melody that's kind of Lydian-ish, but, you know, with a lot of glass- glissandos. And, but um, it, it, first of all, it's like the catchiest, coolest melody ever. It should be used in like all the movies, I think, from here now until, you know, the end of time. Um, but it also it has it has this kind of quality of phrasing that is just so unusual and kind of world musicy. And he was very influenced by the music of Tibet and Indonesia, and whatnot. That's why he starts all his pieces with like a pitch gong hit, which I think is remarkably quirky and silly, but also beautiful that he does that. It's so personal. But you know, so he has this wonderful piece with this like great, great kind of majestic melody, and the whole piece is like and variations on that melody and developments of that melody. And at the same time, you have this kind of spectral sound because he was re- he was really well aware of what's going on. So on one level, he's he's going back in time with his conception. He's of his time with the use of harmonies and melodies. And then at the same time, one of the you know instead of just going from chord to chord, there's one of the you know motions of of development is that this kind of drone slowly you know becomes a, a pressure tone noise actually just it just grows into a noise and it to me it's so refreshing because it's he's he's literally just he's he's picking everything from the history and from the present that 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 speaks to him and he makes an extremely stunning powerful piece 
And, and, and to me, that piece you can, you can really hear and say, oh, well, this is from there, this is from there. And wow, I never heard that kind of phrasing before. And, and, and to me, you know, to, to, to somebody who's, who's really in the scene, and that also can be a danger if we spend all our days listening to new music, we're almost fetishizing our appreciation of music. But I, I think that this other guy we were speaking to, he, he didn't have these elements. He, he didn't have this kind of collection of desires, materials. There was no depth of meaning. There was, there was no phrasing that caught me. There was no harmony that caught me. There was no, you know, it just, it just was just remarkably unremarkable. And that is a shame because I think if we had more courage, I'd, I'd rather see more courageous failures than kind of like things that you clap and you say, oh, that worked, you know. But it doesn't really, where's the chance? Where's the risk? I mean, I'm either going to go down as somebody who makes a fool of himself consistently and will someday kind of figure out something that's mine and then be happy with that or, you know, or have a couple, you know, I, I think that's the only way to go for me personally. I mean, there are a couple of things that actually bother me a little bit about what you just said. It's, mm-hmm. for, first of all, you just said, oh, he's just playing to the subscription audience in America and just kind of, doing that to please them well, but it's not like it's not like i'm, I'm paraphrasing people exactly. can't listen it yeah. sounded as yeah, if yeah. I, it, not, it sounded as, as if i'm sure his, of course you don't know his ideas intentions. were far nobler than yeah. that but yeah. that's my kind of yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not implying any cynicism on no. his part but the exact same thing happens here it's uh, the except the criteria is different like I agree. people I agree. people go to subscription new music concerts or they go to a certain series or they go here you know clang form veen play or for it's more of maybe ensembles here than it is actually you know lincoln center or whatever and they have certain expectations that they want filled and i feel that composers on this side are just as guilty as that like Throw in a scratch tone, have a couple harmonics, blah, 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 you know, make the form of it super subversive so people, so it takes people eight or nine listenings before they can decode it. Which um, always happens with the music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which always happens, you know, and hey, I do that accidentally, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. and at the same time, it's fulfilled the requirements, and then because of that, um, because it fulfills the requirements, they end up getting, you know, the next commission, and it becomes something, that same kind of cynicism also exists here, whether it's intentional or not. You know, it exists here. So now my question for you is, what do you do to break away from those expectations? Like, can you give me a concrete example of something that you've done that you feel has taken what has been going on, was expected of you from the consensus of new music audiences in Europe and used it to push it in a way that, I don't know, someone like me would not be disappointed in the same way as you were at this guy at the other concert no that's, that's a great that's a great question just to say what am i doing to um to answer because i think what's the only, your noble what's what's your noble moment well yeah. well well yeah because the, the only real answer for these the questions we're posing are, are aren't actual verbal answers they're pieces basically you want to answer all of these questions with music and and with some kind of artistic idea uh i can say um this is not this wasn't any um moment in the sun or this was no you know brave like departure from from the road but i will say um and this is actually kind of a a traumatic experience for me is that when i I asked to write a piece as a staubach honoraria for darmstadt 2010 i was very happy to have that opportunity oh i heard about this okay i'm sorry (laughs) i heard about this This is a good story and um and and now, this is a great example of, of having, you know, having an idea and trying to see through your idea in a way that will, you know, maxim- to really to make the idea come alive. And I wanted to, it was for a piece for a string quartet, an amazing string quartet from New York. Uh, Jack, Jack Quartet. Jack Quartet. Yeah. 
And I had this idea, and it's still an idea I'm working on, but the idea was to do uh, a series of pieces called the Oxford Concise Dictionary of Music, where I take one page and I make that a movement, basically, or a self, you know, a standing piece, um, part of some kind of greater book, like maybe like the Lady Etudes, where you have different etudes. You can put them together in different ways. It could be listened to as an entirety, but it's essentially like a book of ideas. And, I, and so that I, I found that was part of my idea. And then the other part of the idea was to marry this with electronics to have electronics be a, a, a big part of the piece and I was thinking very much that electronics as a product of somebody who sits at the end of the hall at a mixing desk is somehow too removed from the musical process I wanted to make the musicians themselves be electronically um, or in control of the electronics electronically um, guided by their own work it's a long story but at the end of the day the piece was a total nightmare um, I mean, it was it wasn't catastrophic, but I do remember. I mean, there's a, I do remember some some pretty dirty looks after the concert. It didn't really quite work the way I wanted to. Electronics didn't come together the way I'd hoped. Um, it, it, it wasn't a last minute affair, but it only came together at the last minute, uh, which only allowed me to hear it right the day before the concert. At that point, there's nothing you can really do. It turns out that the length of a piece that is guided by using all of the, the materials on a page from the Oxford was actually far longer than I thought it would be. I was thinking these things would be like four-minute movements. But it turns out that to actually do this in a musical way, it was they, they actually ended up being about more closer to 10 minutes. Looking back, I, I should have just written a piece, maybe been a bit more safe at Darmstadt and not had like part of a piece that was that didn't even quite work. Um, Why do you have to be more safe at Darmstadt? Well, this is the, this, this is the thing, because after my, you know, I, I would use the word catastrophic, it, this was the first time I had had a piece performed for all the major players in the German international scene. And it was not my best showing. And what's, what's unfortunate about that is that it, I'm pretty sure it's going to take a little while to get um, an open-minded audience. Because once I had the sense that once you kind of take a chance and don't really succeed, you know, you can kind of look a little silly. You can look a little naive. Although I, I try very hard to, to maintain a naivete as a composer because I think that's... Uh, an important thing to have. A lot of my heroes were extremely naive. But looking back, I learned a lot. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm happy with what I learned. I learned that that piece actually is complex enough that the Oxford idea is is enough of an idea to dictate the entire piece and to, to add electronics to that. Actually, takes focus away from what I'm really trying to say. I realized that the electronics was its own thing. Electronics actually defines a piece because it's such a prevalent part of the sound and the processes and the works. All the whole, how the whole thing is conveyed that it actually really becomes thematically central. And the, the dictionary idea is itself so thematically central that the electronics distracted from that. So at the end of the day, I didn't have anything. I, ha I had two half bags of nothing. And those, ha those happen to everybody. But I have to, go, sure. I have to go back, and we were talking about, okay, we were talking about this on, off mics, but it was good, and I'm, not, I'm just going to leave out the guy's name and saying that I was trying to defend a guy who was writing music for an occasion. Of mm -hmm. a conservative, uh, okay. Uh, uh, he, he, you know, he was doing. A, well, he was given uh, a commission for a conservative ensemble, yeah. And then he wrote a piece that they would like. Yeah, he wrote a piece that they would like. But you said, looking back, you wish you had had would have done something that would have been safer for you, and well, that something that you would have worked. And because because of what the stakes were, because of who the audience was, because sure. it was people that you wanted to look good in front of, because they were going to get you another. It was going to get you more work, which as a composer, I mean, you need. Unless you have, uh, you know, day job, and that's the same. I mean, how how is that different? You're also you're saying, looking back, I should have written for the occasion. Hey, hey it's like poker. When you go all in 
and you're hoping they're going to fold. You're, you know, you're hoping you're either going to get your flush or they're going to fold and they don't, they call you and you lose, you know, at that point, you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have gone in. But hey, if they had folded or if it had worked, you, you, you suddenly you're a genius and you say, well, I'm glad I did exactly what I did. And so I have, I have you know, interesting, one of the, one of Schoenberg's books about, um, you know, or composition, he talks a lot about the, the element of luck in composing. Yeah, but how often do you take that? Okay, as but I'm saying is you're, ma- I, as you're making a choice I... when, what I'm saying is you're making a choice when you can take that risk and when you cannot take that risk. Well, I, well, in that period, in that, in that instance, I did not make a very good risk assessment, but I believe in taking risks. I believe that if you, if you, if you, pull if the punches, stakes aren't high, if it's like at a cafe and some guy doesn't give, uh, and the people in the audience are getting, you know, drunk and nobody's listening or something like that. But if the, you know, if the stakes are high and then you failed, then well, you should, look, you know, like you were saying before, you should hold that failure over your head and be like, listen, I had the balls to look like a fucking asshole in front of a lot of people who are in charge of whether or not I'm going to get another job. Sure, sure. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I should have um, written that quote. I don't even know what a safe piece would be because I feel like the moment you think something is safe, it will work. Is, well, you're, a, you're not, a, you're not a, even... safe, a safe thing is that, and this is my definition of what safe All is. All I'm saying is I might, have, I, might have actually just, I might have had a different approach to it and I would have taken maybe other chances. But every piece, I think you need to take some chances. I, I'm saying I, I, that I could have... It's a, it's a difficult call because if I hadn't done it then, I would never have known what the piece really needs. I feel like a lot of times when composing... And um, you don't, you don't, you know, the idea of knowing exactly what what, what a process will, will will yield and what a piece needs is kind of incredibly arrogant. I find often that you know, and Feldman says this a lot. You know, he, he listened, he lets the music talk to him. He lets the notes guide him. He, he doesn't impose his will upon his material. He 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 figures out where it wants to go. He, he's he's just as much a, a listener as he is like somebody who's putting input into whatever the process is. And, you know, it was a painful situation. I, I went home and I was um, not up for the, 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 the usual celebration after a piece. And I really I had a long, cold, you know, think about what I'm doing. And it, it's open. I spent the next year and a half um, like some Captain Ahab desperately trying to figure out the electronic conundrum that I'm still kind of in. I think it's an extremely amazing um opens up a lot of doors but because of the the nature of the, the 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 software nature of programming and the the nature the fact that you need to create your own boundaries it's not like a physical instrument where the frame is is there for you to work with you have to really kind of decide your own limitations which i think is a very difficult thing to do as a composer you can just spend so much time on the research side of things and at a certain point that needs to stop and the composing needs to begin it's, it's a tough call i mean i you know, in 20 years from now, if, if I'm able to achieve um, the music I want to I write, if I'm able to explore the things I want to do, and if I'm successful in doing that, and I can make a music that, I, that I'm proud of, I mean, I can't say, I, I don't know if it'll be successful or not, um, but if I'm happy with the work, then, you know, I'll look back and I'll laugh. At the moment, it didn't feel so good. Um, These things having, are always having... much more damaging in your own head than they are in reality, too. I mean, I'm, not, sure. I'm not saying that to comfort you, but, it, at, you know, at the same time, I've gone for... M- you know, I've had performances and then like for months afterward, I was like, "Ugh, that was horrible. No one's ever going to want to work with me again. And then I think of all the people who are not only friends, but also people who I also have respect for who saw me look like an ass. Sure. And, and then just like, oh, fuck. And then like, you know, a couple months later, it's, you know, I'll talk to someone who was there and they'll tell me I'll be able to decode whatever the language is to realize that. They're not just saying they thought it was good to make me feel better, but mm-hmm. they'll, they actually thought that like some parts of it were good. So it probably wasn't as bad 
as you thought it was. No, it was pretty bad. Yeah. There has to be some element of risk. And in that sense, I don't regret the piece. I just wish I had spent more time prior to the concert, maybe um, maybe been less ambitious on one level and been more focused on an element of the music well, the thing is, I guess I the didn't thing really is, know the, until the, the, I heard it. Yeah, and the, the, exactly. You didn't know until really you know heard it. Heard, and, no. you know, I think a big problem, and this is kind of a trope that is in, I don't know, every three interviews that I do or something. But if our thing was set up in the way that you had a chance to try out these ideas before you had the risk of failing on such a big scale, then the this whole issue could have been avoided. I, I think, I think so it would have been a, a, like imagine, imagine more if, than that. I think yeah. it would have been a great piece. Yeah. Imagine I think to have the chance to work with it and be like, Oh, that didn't work and throw it away. I mean, for sure. Like imagine if the Jack Quartet was like, okay, here's the deal. We're going to be playing at these clubs. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be 50 people in the audience. They're You know, they're not going to be listening completely. So in, intently, you know, none of them have anything to do with n- new music, but we're performing there. And then we're going to try out your piece and we're going to do that 20 times before, uh, to, to learn, to learn the piece to, you know, perform and, you know, make a little bit of scratch. And then at the very end, we're going to go into like this big forum with a lot of important people there, blah, 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 blah. We're going to perform your piece. You have had 20 opportunities to be like, Oh God, that doesn't work. Let me work that, you know? And then maybe four, performance is in you kind of nail down the idea and then you're tweaking and then you're tweaking and then you're tweaking and then by the time it reaches this huge scale you've worked through all of the you know successes and failures and kinks of whatever your idea is then you failed on a on a level that doesn't matter in order for you to be successful well, on the big I, I would I wouldn't consider what the, the work process you described it I think that'd be amazing I don't think there would be failure in that work process I think that'd be that's 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 the dream work process for I think all composers or I think many composers. I would we say. all have to. That's what I'm saying. Like we all have to eat shit at some point. If you wanna if you wanna try something that's new, yeah. there is a lot of embarrassment in there. There's a lot of exactly. looking like a failure and a fool in front of people. For sure. And um, when you have three performances a year, four performances a year, I'm talking. I'm not just talking performance. I'm talking about uh, premieres a year. Then. Where's the workshop idea? How do you work these things out if you only have three or four years? It, take, it, it, would, it takes forever to find a voice. And then at the same time, you're really worried about getting the next thing because sure. that was the, like, the one little kind of snippet that people saw of you where those four times a year. Like, and they're not going to be running to hear you again. They, they make up their mind. So the incentive is for you to stay safe. And I think and expe- people are staying very safe. Yeah, especially when you get to the point where, like, let's say you have a big career for what it, like you know through reasons of luck and skill and ability to network with all all the things that contribute to having a big career all of a sudden all the opportunities you have are no longer like this new music ensemble that's going to be playing at some club or some small venue where 30 or 40 of their friends are going to uh show up it's going to be like a merits music concert or some big festival concert all of a sudden all the opportunities you have are Darmstadt-like opportunities where you really don't want to look like an idiot in front of people who are in charge of in charge of giving you your next commission. So as your career gets higher and higher, your incentive or your ability to be able to look like an idiot in front of people out of something you try new becomes less and less because your opportunities are really well publicized and it's everything's really you know, sure. public and people are brutal i mean critics are brutal and composers are brutal you know performers are brutal it's a 
it, it is a it, it depending is a, on the performer. I've had some performers that are like very understanding, oh, no, forgiving for, people. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, I think, but 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 in exactly this in exactly this question, I think it's probably one of the the biggest problems composers face. You know, we we live in this world of Mozart where performers think that the real composers know exactly how it's going to sound before it comes out. That if you know what you're doing, you don't make mistakes. I mean, that, that really is the mentality we live in, uh, which is a shame because for me, I can only speak to me, that is by no means how, how I can achieve my, my greatest potential. I, I recently had a piece uh, with a fantastic group here in Berlin, the Boulanger Trio, and um, I was very clear on what I wanted the piece to be about. I had um, this idea of using uh, an untuned radio, um, a dictaphone to record sounds, and also there's a relationship between the dictaphone and the radio because when the dictaphone is playing and it gets near the radio, the, the kind of like the radiation or some, some kind of like electronic feedback creates pitches in the radio. And so it was this, the idea of using tools to kind of create actual sounds. There's a function of the dictaphone. It's like, lot, it's like the most old school live sampling you could imagine, but then itself has tonal possibilities. And somehow building a story between this idea of like not connected noise and achieving like some kind of form of coherence. And I was also exploring repetition, blah, 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 blah. I knew what the piece was going to be about. I kind of, I'd written a, a script to say of the piece but as I was writing it, I said, I, I knew, and I knew I'd have to really convince the ensemble of this. I knew that I wanted to write without fear, without the fact that knowing that this, this what I'm writing was the final draft. I knew as I was writing, I was going to have them rehearse for two weeks, and then I'd, I'd make a revised draft after that rehearsal. I was going to record that rehearsal and make a revised draft. I knew this is how I wrote. And it freed me up to, to just, to, I, the original piece was a half hour long. I just wrote whatever I felt. I took a lot of chances, and I, and I wanted to see where things would go. And I kind of I considered it like a, like a film where they they have a script and they shoot different angles and they they have, there's a story but they shoot as many angles as you as you want because it turns out when you when you're editing a film and I've seen a lot of DVD behind the scene things that some of the shots you didn't think would work end up being you know full of energy and full of magic and some things you thought that would be aren't the ensemble was very busy they had a different premiere they were not thrilled with the idea of me doing this. Um, you know, no one likes to rehearse two weeks and have half of that be cut away. And, you know, but they were very, they were very nice and they understood. I, I made my, I made my point and we had the rehearsal. Um, I cut the half an hour piece, probably like 35 minutes. I cut it into a 20 minute piece. I took out completely some things that didn't work. I found, I repeated things that did work and I was able to, to build a piece that I really wanted to build. And, you know, at the, the concert, it was the first time in a couple of years where I had the sense that, wow, I was able to really speak to this audience. I was really able to, to speak to what I wanted to say. I was able to surprise myself. And I was able to do things that I hadn't really considered before the piece, uh, during the writing process, is exactly what I wanted to achieve. I was able to kind of find out what I wanted to achieve in the process. And it was one of the best experiences I've had in, in a couple of years. For me now, that has to be the way I have to work. I'm not there to make ensembles feel good about their rehearsals. I'm not there to please the, the powers that be. I'm there to, at the end of the day... Don't, don't bang on the table. Sorry, I'm, I'm there yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to kind of... Let's be frank. I'm there, to, I'm there to please myself. I mean, with contemporary music, there's no guarantees that what I'm doing is going to be interesting in 50 years or even five years. So if I'm not even happy about what I'm doing or if I'm not satisfied about the process, then really I should just be... 
selling, you know, mortgages to, to people or something productive in the society. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you're not you're not just there to please, you know, I mean, that sounds kind of bad. You're not just there to please yourself. You also want to you just said oh, I really felt like I reached reach. Oh, I want to reach people. But but I, I mean, I, I very much want I, I would love to reach people, but I can't guarantee that. Right. So if I'm not enjoying the process and I'm not reaching people, I might as well be enjoying the process. Okay, and I understand exploring what you something, mean. You know? yeah. I mean, I mean, what are the criteria for new music? I mean, the only the only real criteria for what we're doing is time. And unfortunately, we're not going to be privy to that information. You know, I mean, Chelsea was kind of like laughed at until he was in his 90s. And he's like, this is a composer who's a one tone composer who lived his entire, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in the time of 12-ton music. But that doesn't take anything away from the inherent quality of his music and, and the amazing thing, he, what he achieved and the personal language he developed. It just, he, he was in, in a different time. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that he, he, he finally, in, in, at, on his deathbed, received recognition. That's great for him. I'm not saying I'm going to be that. I'm just saying, you know, knowing that that is how it could end up being. You know, on the day-to-day, we need to be satisfied. We, we need to feel fulfilled as human beings considering um, how difficult it is to judge uh, an art form that has no economic potential whatsoever for even the most wildly successful people. I mean, I think uh, one of our mutual friends was recently telling me a story about how he was in a ska band that sold 15,000 records, and that was the exact amount of records of the most sold classical music album of that year. There is no economic success to tell you this is good or bad. There is only maybe you and some close friends or, you know, or your opinion. I mean, it's a, it's a very hard thing to judge because tastes change, your own taste change. And, and I would love to have, you know, I think audience feedback is extremely important to get a sense of, oh, maybe this could have been more clear. But then you have very different audiences. You know, people have very different expectations. One of the things I think that's so interesting about Cage, philosophically, but also as an artist, is that he was never really worried about making music in the way that people listen, normally would listen to music. He was worried about making a music that symbolized how he listened to music. You know, in the sense that he has this really famous quote saying that, you know, listening to traffic on in the, in the New York streets, there's crescendos, there's decrescendos, there's accumulation of events and there's uh, release of events. There, there's, there's tension building, there's tension, you know, flowing out. That was how he listened to traffic. And that was how he took that experience and then plugged it into various compositional techniques of his own making, um, using instruments and using other processes. And... To me, that I think it's a really healthy way to look at it. And I don't think Cage was terribly concerned about the um, success element of his music. I think he was concerned about being fulfilled with his work. I don't think the idea of art making money really took place in our culture until Warhol kind of coined this pop art thing to actually make art, you know, to actually, where he said, you know what, art is, the masses can have their art and art can be from the masses and I think that's, I think that's a pretty pretty new thing actually that, that that the idea that art can be of the marketplace. So do you feel like we need to adjust to that? No, I don't actually. I, I think the internet contains interesting possibilities to bring together minorities or minority interests, niche interests from all over the world, and potentially maybe make one global community that itself could be a small Luxembourg-like state, tiny little thing, but still you know full of interested people and. But whether it can fund itself, I mean, an orchestra, you know, to pay an orchestra is a multi-million dollar affair. And that's really never going to become, in a sense, economically feasible, unfortunately. But orchestras are, I mean, yes, that's the extreme example. That is the extreme you know, example. What about a string quartet? Well, I mean, you know, Jack is certainly doing very well. But they're also being paid by a lot of state-run 
festivals yeah. that they, yeah. they like, play at. Like so. they got invited to Darmstadt, which is exactly, yeah. which is which is totally state financed. And um, I think it's it's it, you know I think the state finance is a very good thing in a sense. I I, I think it's all a bit like it's the devil you know. Uh, which is better than the devil you don't know, because I'd prefer to have state funding for something I believe in, uh, which is to say contemporary music and music as an art, than to have none at all, for sure. But that being said, there's a lot of problems. You know, then you run into the fact that you have one or two people who are in control of these funds, and then thereby that taste becomes what's considered the sound or what is good. And any time where you have a, a, a very few people uh, deciding what is good, then I think you get into some potentially dangerous areas. A solution I to that say, is, I, I wouldn't say dangerous areas, but areas where certain important things that should be considered are not going to be considered. Yeah, everybody so, has their own bias, and everybody has their own idea about what other people need exactly. or what other people shouldn't have available to them. One of my favorite festivals um, here in Berlin is the Osterschall Festival, and that is because it's run by two radios, and there are two radio heads, and they absolutely have extremely different tastes and they literally don't even make an attempt from the rumors to make the program together they divide up the days and they say i will take these days and you will take these days and so you have two different people making one program and i find the ultrasol festival has a really nice aesthetic diversity because of that and i play a game where i say okay was was this you know this was this this director director a or was this director b who made tonight and i kind of make a little note and i try and find out afterwards to see if i can guess their taste which is interesting because you, you sometimes you can guess taste of people. That's part of the problem we discussed is that the taste becomes predictable. But what's nice about Ultrashall is is that it's it's a forced two person divided festival, so you get a, a, probably the most diverse um, set of concerts that I've uh, I've actually um, seen in a while. You really know about like the people who run the festivals and every like. Well, I know with the Berlin scene because I know oh, that's what I mean. I'm I know sorry. the musicians sorry. in let, Berlin. Let, let me narrow that down within the within the within the Berlin scene, which is where we're speaking from right yeah. now. The Berlin scene, not an apartment in Berlin, but yeah. uh, <laughs> Ground Zero of Berlin. Within that, you always kind of seem to know about who's in charge of this, who's in charge of that. Uh, do you feel like? For example, like I'm to my own fault and, and this isn't even in a part of it. This is like a character defect I have almost. I'm terrible at like knowing those things and networking and kind of like meeting people. The only, the only reason I know you is through, well, mutual friends and poker. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, is that something you think you're naturally good at or do you have to work at it? How, how, how important is networking to you? It's important for me, like, or I know it should be important for me, but I just suck at it so much. I can't do it. And it's been the detriment to like kind of many opportunities that I potentially could have had. Or I, or at least I like to think that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. Um, I'm in and out. I think networking is, I hate it so intensely. Um, it is not what I want to be focused on. I hate selling myself. I feel like if I, I feel like I could be a good salesman if I was selling like a car, something that wasn't me. But I feel like selling me is a difficult thing because I believe in essentially being honest and to sell the honest Evan is not exactly the most thing, you know, because I, I believe in taking experiments. I, I believe in being example, surprised. Be, yeah. I, I, and that's, that's not really what people want to hear. Let's be frank, right? I mean, yeah. you want to, you know, are all, you know, you want to present yourself as some kind of really confident, knowing how to talk about different things, you know, speak in a very coherent and let's be honest, intellectual way. I don't think new music needs more of that, to be honest. I, I, I believe in kind of intuitive music. I'd, I'd like to not be a part of that. However, um, I do have lots of friends who are in ensembles. We've discussing when you know if I want to present a piece with an ensemble. For, there's one ensemble here I'm going to be working with next year. 
they've been presenting this idea to the festival. One of the festival directors I recently spoke about in Ultrashal, and as as a sheer necessity of putting projects together, you need to talk to these people and and because everybody does these things and you get a sense of how the internal politics work. I do not want to be that kind of composer who's marketing all the time. I I, uh, I want to focus on the music and I want to make the music speak for me. I'm kind of, I, I vacillate between sometimes going out there and meeting people and saying hello and, and showing up and giving CDs and, and trying to present my case, that being, you know, the, the musical case. And sometimes I just go in my 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 composing studio and, and work for three months at a time and don't do anything on that level. It's a tough problem. At the end of the day, what I'm recently kind of figuring out or deciding how I want to go forward in my my career, my work, is I don't want to be the kind of composer who is focused on talking to intendants, uh, festival directors. I want to be the kind of composer who is deeply... Um, uh, working with musicians and ensembles on a personal level and trying to realize projects between us and to find things and to and to, to make music. Because I, I, I look at ensembles as real contributors and as real um, collaborators in the creative process. Yeah, it's not, I don't look no. at festival directors as being collaborators in my process. So I'm all for meeting more people and I, and I really want to try to do this, to, to extend my reach to... There's, there's so many fantastic people out there in the world that I just haven't met here in Berlin who are doing new music and who are really putting the time in and their own money in to make concerts happen. And that's the kind of person I want to work with.
there's one more thing I want to talk about, and that is, I mean, you get hooked up by Norway, right? Technically, your mother is what? Don't 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 frown in front of the mics. Come on. I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. This isn't a uh, this isn't a scam. No, no, no. It's totally totally legitimate. I am half Norwegian. I have a Norwegian passport. I lived in Norway for five years. I studied at the Norwegian Academy of Music. Yeah, so this is lots of great people. Of course, it's legit. I I live in Norway. I tax on Norway. I'm you know I write down Norwegian composer, American composer when I can. I do consider myself to be in many ways. Norwegian. My, my, I have there's a lot of Norwegian things in me. I've been there every year as a child for summers and whatnot. Lots of great friends, great musicians, great people there. I'm also very American too in that way uh, as well. And so in that sense, I'm not actually really completely Norwegian. I speak with an accent, probably an awful American accent when I speak Norwegian. Um, but I have been fortunate to get some funding from Norway. Uh, there's great funding for the arts. Um, I did receive a three-year scholarship in 2009 which is unfortunately this year run out it's it's good i mean uh, when i first went to norway one of my what i noticed very quickly is that one they're not a very uh, concerned about getting doctorates or master degrees at all um because they have another patronage well yeah well but then they're just you know they they're just running music i mean you can really just live from being a composer there i mean you can make two three commissions a year or pretty well paid and maybe you teach a bit and you're it's fine. And let's also not ignore that healthcare is taken care of and entirely free. And uh, the education system there for the children, though it has its flaws and that's a different conversation, is also essentially free. So um, it's a high tax rate, but you're getting a lot for the taxes you, you spend. I think to, to remove healthcare from a list of worries in a country would be a pretty amazing thing to achieve, although it's much easier in Norway of 5 million people than it would be in America. Again, no political stuff here. But yeah, I mean, I, I noticed very, very quickly when I got there that you had these very young composers, let's say one in particular was like 27 at the time, and he'd already written maybe three pieces for orchestra, 10 pieces for a symphonetta, loads of duets, and the just the actual experience on a kind of a Malcolm Gladwell outliers 10,000 hours approach just destroyed any american composer i'd ever met basically and, yes. he, and it's just a matter of experience and i think that that's one of the reasons why european composers tend to be imported to america and not really the, the other way around because they not because they're better than american composers because there's just more opportunity is that part of the reason why you moved here to berlin you're For like sure. i'm not going to get the opportunity i'm not going to get the experience to get good if I stay here, especially for me doing the kind of things I'm doing stylistically, like oh. I'm not writing film scores, I'm not writing orchestral music that subscription goers are going to enjoy. So I better go to a place that's going to have give me the opportunity to get good. That was, if not one of, or uh, certainly a major consideration. So you're saying, so you're saying basically. But that's one of many. I mean, like I always say, Berlin has a lot of other things going on for it. It's it's a it's, it's a quintessential East meets West Europe. It's cheap, so uh, artists can live here. It's international. Um, you can you can basically you know throw a stone and hit a designer in the head you know from any given location in Berlin. I do that every day. I hate designers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um and and I think that's 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 a beautiful thing because you can really be inspired by other people and by an environment and by a culture and also Germans really uh, they value culture and I, I have great respect for that you know it really means and also it's very European but I think particularly in Berlin I'm amazed at how contemporary music festivals are sold out and how many people come to concerts. And and how I've, people really care. It's it always really kind of mind blowing when people, when like the Merritt's music or Ultrashaw concert is sold out, or like you go, you can't get a ticket. You can't. It's you, like, amazing. You can't. You can't get a ticket, and you're like, fuck! All these people are are coming here. But the thing is, it's always like 
40% to 50% are also people in the scene. And, you know, they feel obligated to go to these concerts to schmooze a little bit, but also people are coming from who are in the scene who travel to Berlin for that. That's still kind of a very insular thing that, you know, bothers me. Anyway, getting back to, you feel like you've had more opportunities here for what you want to do than you would have if you had moved to New York. I have, I have many friends who live in New York and one of my friends is an artist, lives in Brooklyn and he has to come up with $1,800 a month. Man. And, uh, and, and if I had to come up with $1,800 a month, who is this? Uh, it's a friend of mine, Rick Crusoe is a, an artist. Uh, it, it would, it would change my life. I mean, you know, unfortunately for him, he doesn't have a Norwegian passport where he can just move to, to Berlin and, and, and legally do so. I mean, but that, but that, that's what I did. What do you mean? Doesn't have a Norwegian pass? I don't have a Nor- I don't. I don't. I only have an American passport. I'm not part of anything else. No, I got an you, artist you, visa. Yeah, yeah. You got an artist visa. Then if you stick here for six years, I mean, no, I'm not saying you know. I'm, there are ways, okay. But you know, if family and a girlfriend with like a job, or you know, it's it's not. It, there's reasons, but but to me, I, I wouldn't. That the pressure of having to come up with like that kind of money every month would inherently change my kind of mind state and my my relationship to my work. I'm right now. I'm trying to find a way. I mean to make my my composing activities and the activities that would someday feed my children separate to the best of my ability. I don't like the idea of success or money coming into my thought about my writing. You don't want to look at a scratch tone and, you know, and then look at your kids and then change whatever, you know, ch- turn out into a C major chord, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> well, hey, I, I think a C major chord is a fantastic and a powerful you know what, I'm just, sounding I'm, object. Yeah, I'm just using, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I, I, don't, I don't think, I, I think... I'm yeah. not shitting on C major. I'm no, just, no, you know, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm just taking two opposites and, sure. and you know, throwing a kid in. But there. I don't think a C major could, would be very particularly helpful to a career in Germany. You know, I mean, like you I said mean, before, there, yeah. there are there. Every culture has its own aesthetical preferences and ideas of what is the art form. Yeah, this is, is. I just, I'm sorry, I just imposed you in the Midwest. I think, <laughs> like, yeah, this yeah. Is, like this is this is where you're living and working. Yeah. What steps have you taken to make those two things separate? What are you doing to? Free yourself to well, give yourself some type of financial state stability, not because you're materialistic, just because that's a peaceful mm. mindset. Well, I'll say, I mean, right now, um, I have, you know, with robbing Norway, banks, dealing drugs, <laughs> playing poker. No, um, <laughs> I don't want to get too too economist oriented. Um, but why not? Because I think that's okay. Well, I'll go there. I'll go there. I'll, um, in 2000, when I moved to Norway, um, the dollar was really strong against the krona at that time, and um, I was living in Bergen and I basically took a loan out from my parents, which allowed me to take a loan out in Norway to buy a house. And then I renovated that house. I spent about about a year. I mean, a real, this was my full-time job. I really stopped composing. I was composing at night, but it wasn't, it was, you know, every day I was waking up at seven and working on the whole thing. And I basically um, renovated a house and turned it into uh, investment property that I've been since then renting out. Now, of course, I have costs. I got to pay back the loan, da 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 da. But it gives me a little steady stream that, when added to my commissions, because I mean, let's be honest, five thousand euros for a two-month-long working process piece, you know, for an ensemble, it doesn't really isn't really enough. But that's kind of the going rate now for you know a given commission. Having that safety net, um, of course, sometimes requires work. I, in 2008, I had to kick a drug addict out of my apartment who was making the, the, the apartment he rented from me into like the local 
getting high den. So there, there were problems and problems to arise. But... I think I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. His name was Daniel Veza. No, but, Thanks uh... a lot, man. Where am I going to stay? <laughs> Can I sleep here today? I'm going to have a couple friends coming over um, too. But I, I, and I will say that, that taking the time out to do that and to give me the freedom um, and to have something, you know, something besides just composing, I think has been one of the better, you know, businessman decisions I, I've made. And currently I am looking at maybe doing something similar here in, in Berlin with some of the money I've, I've been saving in the past 10 years to, to think about the future in a way that, you know, and I can, to, cause I, I do not like, you know, right now I can make a living from my music and I have a scholarship next year with a Schloss Solitude. I'm very happy with. Oh, you're going to Schloss Solitude. Yeah. I'm, I'm Congratulations. That. That's dope. You. It's great. I'm, I'm, it's great. But like I said, in five years, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in five years, you know, and I'm, I'm getting older, you know, if I want to have a family uh, and look, I'd like to teach, but I, I'm not. I'm not looking to go down a, a professor path that doesn't really appeal to me. I mean, what really appeals to me is just to, to compose every day, to wake up and to have a challenge and to to kind of see something through and to 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 make it as hands on as I possibly can, and to to be as close to the music in a sounding way as I possibly can, and to keep it and to to the best of my ability to keep the the things we discussed about you know contacts and the scene and and economic pressures and 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 the, the the taste of people who maybe don't or do like your music you know i want to keep all that stuff as as, as far as i can at bay and to create a just a little like warm circle of you know childlike joy to make every day you know interesting and worthwhile and of course it's 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 not always it's not it's not always easy it's, it's very often very difficult but just just to, to keep it new and to keep it fun and to keep it focused on something that's deeper than just than than the here and the now and the physical yeah. of our world. I always say this: as soon as you make, uh, you start making a living, then you're at such a high risk of compromising yourself. Yeah, that's just a reality. And good for you. I think that's a smart move by you. Basically, what renovating and renting out properties in order for you to kind of create a financial stability where you yeah. don't have to worry about making sure that whatever commission leads to the next commission yeah and in that sense then you shouldn't really give a shit about the fact that you bombed a darmstadt <laughs> well i mean look i mean, I mean of we, course you don't want to bomb i mean you want no, to do good no i mean and look and and, and, and and there's a lot of people there that i have massive respect for i mean it's not really nice when one of your favorite composers kind of looks at you like a redheaded stepchild that he wants to beat across the room, you know what I mean? Like that was wait, 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 wait. That was I didn't even, I didn't even heard of that. You never heard of the redheaded stepchild? Redheaded stepchild? Uh, like this kid, this kid ain't mine, and he's he's a fucking ginger. You've never heard? Google redheaded stepchild. Maybe, maybe maybe my generation. no, it, 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 I love the term. No offense to the gingers of the world. I think the fact that we're calling them gingers is awesome. Like, <laughs> I think ginger yeah, is more of a, a female redhead type too, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Also, you know, as, as far as where I come from and my, my background is, you know, there's some families that are inherently musical. One of my good friends is a conductor and he never actually went to conservatory. But the thing he did have was a lifetime in music because his father was an amazing concert pianist and his mother was a professional cellist in the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. In a sense, he got he got his conservatory education for free, basically growing up in that household. And so for me, I didn't grow up in a musical household, but my father was a businessman and I got a little bit of sense of how he ran some of his investment properties. And that's been my kind of my sense of for free. I never studied this stuff, but with his advice and his help, I have been able to do a little bit of that to balance off the ability to be more of a free artist. I mean, my I, personally, I'd rather be making some living in a, in, on something else that's not music than to be um, 
in a musical position as maybe a disgruntled professor who isn't enjoying music anymore. And, you know, I haven't met a whole lot of very happy professors, to be honest. Oh, no, they're mis- yeah, yeah. They're like I the mean, most... That's, a, that's another very common theme in these interviews, miserable fucking professors. Yeah, I mean, they're like two steps above like disgruntled post- postmen, you know? It, it's, 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 I, I have very few happy professors. And, and to me, I, more than anything else, I want to keep the joy there. I want to keep the, the naivete and the purity. Because I think when you become a professor... Then you're really throwing yourself into the the the, the slings and arrows of the politics, uh, and 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 the, the kind of the system and the machine. Plus, teaching shitty kids counterpoint. Like I'm well, like a 19 year old undergrad, like teaching him like choral harmonies. It's like ugh, no, shoot me in the face yeah, before I can exactly. do that. Kill me. But uh, but I'm sure, and I never had this experience. I'd like to. I'm, I'm sure teaching talented young interesting people who have new ideas would be extremely satisfying very inspiring and and a great privilege they got to be at a certain level though exactly for me i mean for me for me personally like i've you know i've dabbled in stuff like that and either they're really young and naive and like everything you say to them is like potentially mind-blowing and that's great mm -hmm. or they're a little they're a little bit older and it's more like uh you know it's more of a conversation between colleagues and if you look at the time you spend on doing that, and then you maybe the time you want to spend for your family, I mean, there's never enough time, I think, for the family if you're really, you know, trying to get to, like, reach new levels of personal musical experience. Um, you know, where does the time come from to, to do your own music? Um, so, and I think about Charles Ives a bit. He was a millionaire in, like, 1910, which is, means a lot more than now, you know, insurance salesman. And he actually revolutionized the insurance industry. He's maybe not the best example since he had like a breakdown and like heart troubles from all the work he was doing because he was literally doing two jobs at once. But I, I think one of the reasons why he is such a, a memorable voice and perhaps one of the only perhaps co composers of that, that time that we still talk about is because he was just completely divorced from the scene as it was at that time. And I think any time in which you need to make your money from being a part of a scene you run the risk, and it's not always the case, you run the risk of being compromised by the scene. The exposure changes you. Personally, I'd rather be the wacky outsider with the hope of kind of getting to something that maybe no one else has than to be the established insider, personally. Not that I've been given the option to choose. Um, yeah, no, no, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I never I, heard I just, that story of like, you know, you know, Jesus coming down from yeah. the mountain and he's like, take your pick, Evan. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go to Noble. Exactly. Like, I, mean, I think I don't I think need all, success, yeah, fame or yeah. money, man. No, but I think I think we were all at some, at all at some point are kind of like forced into this thing that kind of looks from the outside like a noble choice. But you're like, I didn't have any other option. Nobody wanted me. Yeah, you know? well, like, <laughs> during the club, right? Yeah. But you know, now is about the time because I've never, I've never actually gotten a doctorate, and a lot of my colleagues now are getting jobs and professorships, and and I, it was, it had never really appealed to me to, to to get a doctorate. I always wanted to kind of go all in to use another poker analogy and just say, this is, I want to be a composer. I want to see if I can't do it from the the quality of my ideas. It's getting to the point now where I'm getting a bit older. You're not, you're not 25 forever, where it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, I think. For me, the, my way forward is just focus on the music. Uh, and no matter how many distractions and how many successes or failures that might pull you out of that. I mean, I, I also look at failure and success in the same light because if you, if you were to bask in the glow of, of a good piece and good reception and to really feel that that actually has a meaning, then that will, you'll be destroyed when the piece doesn't work and the audience doesn't get it. I think you have to kind of treat those two imposters just the same, to quote Rudyard Kipling in you know, his famous poem, If. 
that success and failure really have to be neutralized. Um, so you can just keep on going, go to the next piece. And of course you want to make that's your personal. Impos- that's impossible to do though. Not, I'm okay. It's, very well, it's impossible very for me to do, you know, no, I always feel, you know, and I'm pretty good at like when I feel like I have like a bit of success, you know, however minute that might be or however big it might be. I'm always good at like not buying into that at so much. Cause just because my failures outweigh it, just as far as like if you were to somehow quantify it and measure it, but the failures still fucking sting a lot. But wouldn't like, you be a happier composer if somehow you were able to not let let that affect you? Intellectually speaking, emotionally you can't help it, but intellectually, I'm sure you'd love to to be like, well, whatever, flick it off my shoulder, no big deal. Yeah, but I can, I mean, can you do that? I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm getting better. I really am getting better. Every 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 bomb helps me <laughs> get to that point. Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, I, I think at a certain point you just have to um, embrace it on the on the long term in a sense. But this last piece I did, which I, I thought worked pretty well, was I didn't know it was going to work well until you know until until you hear it until you, you you see if it comes together. Every every piece is genius in your head. And every idea is something that could be fantastic. I'm yeah, going to say that for... Yeah, until reality steps on your heart. Yeah, or until maybe you made... I mean, think of how many decisions we make every day on the composing process, right? That, you know, we'll build to a, a finished piece. You're figuring out what you want to say, what kind of material you want to work with, how it's going to, like, build. Like, is it from, you know, small to big, big to small? Like, whatever the considerations that different people have to, to build structure or to... to put you from one sound to the next. And then the moment you start writing, you're probably making about 50 decisions a day. And the, the 50, 500. And that each one of those decisions will change, like like, a, like the leaves of a tree will, will change the next day's decisions. And it, it just keeps on building and building and building. And once you get to the end, maybe one of the decisions from like two months ago if you'd only taken a different route, would have taken you to a whole different place. Yeah. And, that'd have been, that would, and that would have been a great piece. And, that, and that's part of the paralysis I sometimes feel in, in, in structuring a piece and starting a piece. I say, well, mm, I better make the right one here because if this isn't, you know, if I don't have, a, for example, an orchestra piece, you have to really plan an orchestra piece. You know, it's hard just to write 50 voice um, material and not have an idea of where it's going to go or, or what it's going to be. I, I, I make a, a reduced sketch before I make the full on or- orchestrated sketch. But but even at that point, you know, you there's there's still gonna be some idea of how these things will, will relate to each other. And if my premise is, is not right, then the piece will have a hard time succeeding. If my premise is strong, then I have a much better chance. And I really spent a lot of time about the initial conceptual part of a piece. Going back to my string quartet, if I had somehow known or a little fairy had whis- whispered into my my head saying, Evan, don't do electronics and the dictionary idea, like separate those then that would have been like a godsend because that was my that was that was like a, a in the beginning fundamental problem that totally destroyed everything and once i separated and i made a new version of the piece and i have two movements i'm very happy with and in 2013 i'm going to be you know pretty much focusing on just finishing this book working with different string quartets all over the world the the, the pain i had from my previous experience has enlightened my 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 way forward. You know, it, w- it would have been nice, but I don't think there's anybody in the world. I don't think there's any teacher. Although I did get some kind of hints from from composer friends who kind of suggested that the electronics is a pretty big beast to take on in the course of four months. But now I know, and I think ideally you want to have the courage to take a chance, but maybe the foresight to know that maybe this might not work. Well, I will mentality. say I think, I think poker is, is a great um, metaphor to to life, but also uh, composing in a sense that. Sometimes when you um, you think you have a good hand or it doesn't end up being the best hand or it doesn't actually be as good as you thought it was. And sometimes things that are really bad become amazing. I think and then also you, 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 you really start to understand and also the brutality a, yeah, yeah, and of random, of, of, of 
percentages or random acts or like what seemingly random acts. Um, and also like life, if it's a cash game, it's inherently unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say a cash game is inherently unfair. I think it's unfair in the situation we discussed. If you if you don't have money to go back into the game, then yeah, that, but that's what I'm. But yeah, that's, but it's fair that, in the sense yeah, but where that's you the point can, of you can cash, buy in again yeah. anytime and keep on playing as long as you want to play. I think that's the nice part of it. Yeah, that's well. I mean, that's where the unfairness of life I think comes in. Well, I guess some people have. Well, no, because let's let's say you're a better poker player. He's got more money than you. You're just going to take all his money. But you know that is not true. No, in the long haul, I will not, I will say that at any given game, anything can happen. But over the course of a hundred games, there's going to be the best poker player there. That's over the course works. of a hundred, mm, you know, I, 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 I disagree. You can only stack the, the odds are so stacked against somebody with limited funds against somebody with unlimited funds in a cash game. That over oh you know, over, over ten over, over ten games it was always limited. If you only had twenty euros, you could never buy in again. Interesting. Perhaps not so musically relevant, but that's that's possible, I guess. But I will say that like there is skill in poker. I mean, I think it's clearly oh, there's yeah, you know yeah. Th- yeah. I mean, of 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 course there's skill in poker, and of course you know you know let's draw a parallel to I don't know. There's also a skill to capitalism. Let me put it this way. Of course. But having unlimited funds as opposed to having limited funds, it doesn't matter. Like that vastly 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 makes the fairness askew and the amount of skill less important in the sense that you're only as limited as much as you want to play like i would never if i was playing poker, no, no you're only limited as much money as you have yeah but i mean but if you're winning i mean i i i, I love it when people buy in buy in and buy in and buy in and buy in i please keep on buying in keep on putting money on the table i mean that's a good thing like there was one game where you walked away with like at least 180 euros i remember like a year ago the most of everyone was 70 there was one night where you were totally on the high end of 200 i swear to god i can tell you i would remember that that never happened it's very strange well there was one night where i remember you won a lot and you left i now, won like my point 70 is that or 75 if or that goes like that. into a, like a dedicated poker wallet that you would then have 70 at your disposal next poker game and that's how people that's how poker players make their money is you you have a, a wall like a set wallet and then you you build that up and that's the money you lose or win based on that and then the next game you'd have 70 to play and of course i mean 70 that's a lot to lose in one night right so you'd probably be done at 40 or 50 before then so that would be your ability to then create like the same parable of like unlimited wallet is that you, you when you do win because everybody wins eventually is you then consider that that like some kind of like specific place where you build on that value that's just not how i think about money is my is you know my problem it's like tell me how much i'm working for i'm work for that money give me the money i said i was gonna work for i mean it's that kind of i'm like that's much of a fucking simpleton when it comes to money so you're you're a little risk averse in the the sense where you wouldn't be like speculating no 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 i'm totally i'm totally risk averse i can't like risk for the sake of a game or for the sake of uh profit are you risk averse? Are you risk averse with your music too? Because it's interesting. No, 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 no. I I would say I'm completely attracted to risk when it comes to making music. But when I think of me losing at that game, the musical, you know, like if if I write a piece, I take a risk, you know, and then it completely fail, and that ends up hurting me. There's an integrity to that, and that's what I'm attracted to. Now I'm freaking out at the risk. You know, I'm not like stone cold sitting there watching a piece of mine fail or be triumphant and being okay with that but i'm just saying like i'm i'm attracted to that integrity of living your life that way but when it comes to just a game of just trying to take money from another person and all it is is a game and you're not making something that hopefully other people can appreciate i can't get on board I mean, that just something about that fundamentally bothers me. And if I lose at it, the last time we played poker, I left 
I mean, I don't know if I was visibly upset, mm-hmm. but I was really upset. You know, I was like, guy, it ruined, it ruined my night. Really? You know, it ruined, it ruined my night. And then I woke up the next day and I felt a lot better. Yeah. But I was, I was fucking stewing in my own misery, misery for that ride home. And I what? I lost 15 euros. I mean, it's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm losing my house that I don't own because I'm a composer, but it's yeah. like, it bothers me. But again, if it's something like, if it's a risk that could eventually pay off in someone really appreciating not only the risk, but be making something that could be interesting for them to listen to, then um, I'm attracted to that. Interesting. They're two different things for me. Like I actually, actually, I never even, until you just mentioned, I never even kind of made the connection. Was usually the risk is risk is like there's risk aversion and there's risk takers. And that you would think that those would be connected in a sense. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to get a little, um, the risk taking can be very, narcotic in the sense where it's a little addictive that's one of the you know gambling addictions you know there, there's, a, there's a very specific feeling you get when you're playing poker and in and the high of winning or and the low of losing it really is a low you really wanted it so bad and then it's it's, it's ripped from you i think that i personally have a, a similar sense of risk for my music and my poker playing i, I like that but um it's interesting to, to see if they are differentiated risks in the mind like it's almost like that's not even like i didn't when i started composing and I'm not trying to sound lofty, but I signed up for that. It was it was to take the risk. I mean, not just financially for my own life, but like when I was actually making something, and like I knew I was never gonna be making something for to sell products or something like that, or I was never gonna be doing film scores. And I uh, I always knew that the idea of experimentation was gonna be a part of it. And then very early on, I realized that with experimentation also comes the risk and you know possible failure. And that is something that is just more of a, it's not a game, that's a lifestyle. And poker is, uh, by definition, a game. And those are two different things in my head. Does that make sense? It is. It just breaks my heart that you won't be coming to poker very much in the future. I, well, you know, I haven't been doing it in the past long time. Yeah, it's been a long for, time. For, yeah, and it's because of the... If you, I swear to God, if you did tournament style... Yeah, but the problem there is that if somebody, different. if somebody comes and they, they get busted in 10 minutes, it's like the whole night's for them over. And it's what's true. nice about a cash game is that it, the night goes on as long as you decide and you can leave anytime you want, which I think is nice to the, to the players and to make it where you know. And, and also, I like, I like a cash game because it's, it's just higher stakes. It's so not my uh, mentality. Hmm. And it sucks because in a certain sense, like when something like that happens to me, I left that game and I was like, I'm living in the wrong world. No, you've had, you've had your moments. I'm telling you, I'm not, in, like, I'm not enjoying those triumphant moments. I'm like, for what? To make someone else feel like shit? Wow, you know? you're very uh, sensitive, aren't you? I, mean, I, also, I love also, 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 I don't like crushing people like that. And here's the other thing is also, I mean, maybe this is why it's also separated in my head, is that the stakes between poker and uh, composing is, if I take the risk and fail, the worst thing that happens is people go, ugh, that was awful, you know? At the very least, people are kind of understanding that and it's like, hopefully they can hear the try in it. You know, they can hear that I was trying for something new and failed. But if I'm triumphant in that, then everybody wins. The ensemble looks great. They sound good. They really enjoyed communicating the thing. The audience got a lot out of it. I feel fulfilled because I was able to give people this experience. There's no, like, like I don't think I could compose if... Me writing a successful piece meant someone else had to write an equally bad piece. Like, there's no losers when you're writing good music. Sure, that's true. Well, I mean, some to, to for the analogy, I think sometimes the idea of bluffing. Like, one, I had this piece recently in, in Los Angeles, which is 
very experimental piece. It's variations on a theme by John Cage, and it's basically um, the theme by John Cage is silence. And so I wanted to, to make a whole piece where with these sensor gloves, you just manipulate feedback, which is silence, essentially, the idea to you know, um, work to get something from nothing and to make a whole piece from it. Now, this piece has gone through so many different, many different uh, phases. Um, one version didn't quite work. Sometimes the hall is so dampened and moist that there is no feedback possibilities. And I was rewriting the piece again for the final concert. And a part, I was watching some poker during the rehearsals, and I, and I remember looking at some of these poker faces. And one of the things I learned from the pianist who was performing the piece, who's a fantastic musician, fantastic performer, but he's also very self-critical. And I noticed, having watched him now a couple of different times performing this and other pieces, and that even when he feels like he played like shit or he's not happy with himself, he does not present that to the public or to the to the festival directors. He he, he presents a very confident artistic person to everybody he talks to on the social on on, on the, the the exterior storefront, right? But I know inside, and I'm very like very similar. I'm very critical. No one's more critical about me than myself. Like I hate most of what I do and I'm probably usually never very happy with my, my pieces but that doesn't really sell very well does it you know people are like to see the, the agonized tormented artist and like oh well he doesn't know what he's doing that's just kind of the reality where I would actually argue that if you're not tormented then you probably don't know what you're doing because yeah. there's only way to for me anyways when I, the only way to get farther is to really kind of like figure something out and to take chances and you know really have the fight with yourself but I noticed with this pianist he never did that in public he, he presented a great poker face. When I had this piece and I, and I performed it, I, I gave my best poker face to this piece and I, I let the audience decide what it was and I didn't want to show my own personal questions that I was still working on or the fact that I was there was a couple elements I needed to kind of still need to solve and I still want to solve it. It's a, it's a fantastic challenge, this piece, and, I'm, and I hope to, to find the real solution someday. But for this particular performance, I don't think I'd gotten to that point, even though I think there's many interesting things there, but I didn't let the audience know that. And I think to me, that, that taught me a lot is that you got to really know when to be honest honesty is great in life in this world but as an artist we're not really if you want to be successful you just can't really be all that honest when you're presenting yourself and i know a lot of composers that aren't so happy with the pieces but they talk about it like they are and they talk about it with with the right way to talk about it and uh, i think there's a lot to be said for that to keep your your internal criticism to yourself or to, to, the, to the right people to the right family if you're talking to me, and then I'll feel, I'll feel your, your the self doubt and, and and the agony behind it for sure. But let's be frank, you know, festival directors don't. I mean, you know, it's a different world, and musicians don't because musicians are virtuosos. They're just great. They're great performers. They don't really understand that the creative act is not some kind of virtuosity on an instrument that you can play. We're far closer to our contemporary, you know, visual artists or whatever. Than we are to people who study violin all day. For that, you know, I know a lot of performers, and not just performers of new music. A lot of them feel this contradiction between how they feel inside and how they present themselves about their own worth and skill as a performer. But I, I still think, you know, there's a certain gymnastic element to virtuosity that is a little far easier to quantify than creativity. That's, yeah, that, that that's true. Maybe it's easier to... You know, like a virtuoso, like, oh, I missed a note. But like, dude, you're still amazing. You know, you hit all other, you hit the other 2,000 notes, right? And, um, and like there's this... The, the, in, in music, there's a really quantifiable sense of, of skill. But as a composer, I mean, like, let's take somebody like Nono, who isn't like a virtuosic composer per se, but whose music moves me and I find very deep and fantastic. But it's not a virtuosic music. Another is Morton Feldman whose skill and talent and technique is perfect for what he wants to achieve and the, the project that he has. 
we're, we're struggling with, with, you know, the biggest questions we have. We're, we're trying to be good at creating something, which is a very hard thing to do, let's be honest. Um, you know, maybe one in a thousand of us will do something that's actually worth remembering. You know, you said it yourself. You know, you, you made the decision to go into this career. So did I. I, made, I, went, I went into this career because it would constantly challenge me. I knew for a fact I would never be bored with music because I would never be so good that I wouldn't have, like, lots lots of things to work on and to be better with. You, you never nail it down. You'll never master music. Yeah. And there's a lot of things I think you could master. Like, let's say, I don't know, you could argue you could never master the law if you're a lawyer, but I kind of feel like that could pretty quickly get into pretty fast routines, you know, as far as jobs. But there's a lot of cool jobs that aren't teaching, I'm sure, you could never master. There's a lot of new things there to find. And I think for everybody, you got to just find something that, that will give that to you. And for us, it's music. And then, you know, there's a lot of steps we'll, we'll get. You know, maybe, maybe it's not already set in stone what we'll achieve. You know, maybe part of what we achieve is defined by how we think about it in the coming years. You know, maybe our mentality defines our work. I think that's not even a maybe. I think it's, a, it's for sure. Maybe there's a process or a way of thinking about music or a way of working about it that will suddenly click and then bloom into, you know, lots of good pieces. Um, you know, the moment you stop thinking that things are possible is the moment you should just probably stop. Well, I think that's a good way to stop this interview. Oh, man, that's the first, like, wordplay type thing I've used to end it. You should be proud of that. I am. Evan, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Daniel.